Thanks for joining us for the Changing the Industry podcast, where we try to effectuate change for the better, one conversation at a time. Part of that change is providing help for those that need it. This is why we've partnered with the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Whether it's help with sales, operations, or just getting your numbers in order, these folks are some of the very best in the industry. And for our listeners, they'll sit down with you and go over your strengths, your weaknesses, and the opportunities that are in front of you. They'll create a customized plan for how to move forward absolutely free. That's right, free. And if your plan includes one-on-one coaching, they can also help you with that. There's no hard sales pitch, no obligation, just honest help from honest people. So if that's something that you think could benefit you, make sure you click on the link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. But long story short, it started out of the fact that, like, I joined this group, right? My shop was in really terrible shape, right? And I joined this group on Facebook, and um, I asked stupid questions, and everybody was like, hey, you're an idiot. Like, what the fuck are you doing here? You know? And here comes David, and he's like, man, don't listen to him. Like, I can help you get, like, part of the way straightened up and give you a little bit of information. And then and, – and I was a technician, Right. Like, that's what I was good at. I, I saw things in a mechanical mind. Right. And then over time, I guess the best way to say it is, is that I realized I needed to be a business owner. Correct. Right? Yeah. And it was not the same job. No, it is not. And so we started this podcast, right? We, we, a few years go by, and we ended up starting this podcast because we wanted we didn't ever want anybody to feel like we had felt. We didn't want anybody to experience the struggles and the frustrations and the things we had we had gone through. And in this group, we realized that all these people that are having struggles, guess what they are? They're technicians. Yeah. Right? And and I, we talk about it all the time, the E-Myth. Have you ever read the book, The E-Myth? No, I don't believe so. By a guy named Michael Gerber. And in it, he says something. He's talking about this bakery and this woman, and she's super upset. And she's like getting ready to lose everything. And she says, for God's sakes, I just want to bake cupcakes. I, I, all I want to do is bake cupcakes. You know, like, what am I going to do? And he said, listen, if you want to bake cupcakes, for God's sake, sell the bakery and go bake cupcakes. But the job of owning a bakery is not one of baking cupcakes. It's the job of owning and managing a bakery. Yeah. Well, the auto repair shop's the same thing. We we can't run a business by working on cars. Right. We run a business by managing a shop, right? Yeah, exactly. And, it, and I, I, so your story resonates with a lot of people that follow us because, and and I think it's neat to hear somebody who didn't follow that trajectory because what everybody else would have done is bailed, right? Everybody would have gone and said, I'll just start my own shop. I'll just right. do my own thing. Right. And then they would have found themselves where the rest of us found themselves. So introduce yourself, right? I'm, I'm Jake Fruth uh, with Maco Tools, working the uh, diagnostic department as product technical specialist. Okay. I've uh, been with Maco for since, since 2011, starting as a distributor. And then moved up into a DM role, uh, worked with the diagnostic department in actually going out and doing diagnostic uh, services with our equipment, looking for gaps and showing what our equipment could do. Okay. Uh, and then taking on the DSR role for the last three years. And January took over the product specialist role. That's so cool. And yeah. so tell tell the story before that, because I think that's super relevant. Yeah. So I was, I was a mechanic for good... 13, 14 years. Okay. And 
had other aspirations out of school and defaulted to it because I enjoy working on cars. Okay. And through the years of working at the Chrysler dealership, ultimately moved to the aftermarket world just because of the pay. Yeah. What What was it about the pay? What it, it's It's the same across all the brands, so I can't I can't pick on Chrysler. The warranty pay just continues to drop over and yeah. over and over again. And we've seen massive, yeah, massive cuts recently. Yeah, I mean it's unbelievable what they're cutting it to. Well, and, and some of it, it comes from some of the mechanics at the dealership yeah. where they'll figure out a way to do something faster and they'll brag about it. Yeah. The OE learns, says, right. hey, show me. And all of a next thing you know, the labor writes down. Yeah. And you're like, thanks, dude. Right. <laughs> exactly. You got all of us, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. You got all of us. Uh, you know, I, I had a guy, I hired a, a technician from, uh, from Ford one time. And um, he, man, he used to brag about how fast he could do the recall door latches. And he's right. like, I could make a fortune. I, I was so fast. I was so good. I made all this money. And years later, I ended up talking to the shop foreman. And he said, yeah. He said, every single one of those cars came back. Like, without fail, every right. single one of those cars he flew through came back. He's yeah. like, he wasn't there to find out. I'm like, yeah, I had the same experience. Right. But, so, so it was the pay. Right, you couldn't make warranty time. Right, so you went aftermarket. Tell me a little bit about that. You have to completely revamp. Uh, some of the shops are going to have the specialty tools you need. Yeah, some of them are not. Uh, I was always in a mindset of opening my own shop, so okay. that didn't deter me as much. At the first time I borrowed something twice, I bought it, even when it was a specialty tool. Okay, <laughs> and sometimes it was for insurance that hopefully I'd never had to use it again. Yeah, of course. I, you know, spend three hundred bucks, and maybe I maybe I never see that car again. That's exactly right. I sure hope I never see that right. car again. I'm going to buy it just so I won't. Um, and I did work at the house. I was building a clientele there. Okay. And through that, learned a little. It, you can't do both. Yeah. You're not going to be able to work on cars and run the business right. effectively yeah. and grow. You, you could probably support yourself to a point, but then what happens when you can't work on them anymore? Yeah. You, you're done. Exactly. Looking at franchises, uh, the last shop that I managed was an opportunity that I saw. Okay. Uh, speaking with the ownership there, several things transpired, and next thing I knew, I was a Maco distributor in uh, South Dallas area. So let me ask you this. Why didn't you try and take the shop ownership role and say, look, I'm just going to gonna force it, and, and I'm going to go start my own shop on the side. I'm going to go rent a little building somewhere, and I'm just going to do it. Why didn't you take that route? Yeah. There I can't think of one thing. Okay. There's a lot going on. Yeah. And the industry was changing then. It's continued to change. Okay. Uh, there are certain aspects that I think have failed with the dealership model. Yeah. There are certain things that have that have that are failing with independent repair shops. Yeah. And the entire marketplace is changing. Yeah. And those that are staying up on it are going to succeed. And there are some different strategies that we're seeing out there. We're, we're seeing independent repair shops start to merge more more than ever. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're seeing the dealerships do the same thing. I live not too far out of Texarkana. Mm-hmm. And I think 90% of the dealerships are owned by one yeah. company there. Of course. And and that's how the, some of the dealerships are surviving with the with the change. Um. I had a really good Maco distributor at the shop that I was managing. Okay. The uh, the guy that came in to buy the place I knew, 
I was like, I'll stay on. I'll help with, I'll, I'll walk through all this. Lucas and I have been telling you about Parts Tech for a while now and how it gives you access to unlimited parts and tire vendors and direct integration with over 35 shop management systems. And now they've just launched a new referral program. All you have to do is open your Parts Tech account, go to My Shop, and click on the Rewards tab. There you'll find your referral URL, which you can share via email, text message, or on your social media. If your referral signs up for a new account and places five orders in the first 30 days, Parts Tech will send you a $100 gift card. That's it. Nothing else is needed. Your referrals can get you $100 just for using Parts Tech, which, by the way, is absolutely free to get started with. So if you're using Parts Tech already, start sharing that referral link. And if you haven't signed up for Parts Tech yet, what are you waiting for? Click on the link in the description or go to partstech.com forward slash podcast. That's partstech.com forward slash podcast. Hey, one more thing. If you find out that your shop management system doesn't integrate with Parts Tech, it's time to upgrade. David and I use what we believe to be the very best system on the market, Shopware. With unmatched features like Parts GP Optimizer and DVX, which is their digital vehicle experience, Shopware really is way more than just a shop management software. With it, you'll be able to create an immersive and interactive experience for your client, setting you apart from everyone else using run-of-the-mill software. Are you ready to upgrade? Click the link in the show notes to get started. Um, he made changes that made it harder to work there. Okay. And, and it wasn't his intent, and I think just the frustration of changing from his previous career to shop ownership, Yeah. he made some decisions. It just didn't ultimately work out. I, and I, I understand if you don't want to share, right? Because it can be tough to share that. And, and so no problem if you don't want to. But do you feel comfortable sharing what those changes are? Because some of the owners it, listening might be saying, uh, uh, what pay, do I not do? He, he felt we were already paid too much. Okay. And I was kind of thinking, I'm, I'm good. But I was looking to continue to grow my skill, show my worth, and get more okay. of that pie. Uh, we had a very good healthcare plan with okay. the previous owners. Okay. And that was changed and oh. basically reduced. Okay. And and then it was a complete environment change that, that just slowly happened because as soon as employees aren't happy, the, the whole culture changes. Yeah. Yeah. And and things start to go downhill. And anytime there's a management change, an ownership change, there's I think that's probably a component that needs to be addressed first and foremost yeah. is come in, how is it working, get seated, get settled, build the relationships, and then through conversations with those in the shop, work on the changes that you see the business yeah. needs from, a, because maybe those changes have to happen because of the financial state of the business. Right. But the employees are never going to see it that way. If you walk in in day one, you cut X, Y, and Z. Yeah. They go, oh, he's just being greedy. But if you can get in there and build that relationship and and work with them. And show them. You know, one of the big things that I like about Matco is there's a Kaizen. Okay. It's Japanese for constantly improving. Yeah. This might be working great. How can we make it better? Yeah. And get people from different departments, sometimes uh, with our relationship with Volunteer from other sister companies okay. to get different viewpoints on, you know, why do you do this this way? Mm -hmm. Have you ever looked at it this way? And how can we improve? And if you take that metric, 
moving forward in, in the automotive repair business, I think you can grow. Yeah. I think one of the biggest struggles that I've seen is the overall pay has not changed. Yeah. Everything else has gone up in price. Mm-hmm. And when I was in high school, I was hanging out at a shop, learning a little here or there. I was, I've always been a mechanic, take it apart, figure out how it works, put it back together. Right. Get my first car. I'm, I'm doing the same thing, making mistakes. Talk with him and he goes, yeah, that's a rookie mistake. <laughs> okay, well, I'm less of a rookie now. That's it. <laughs> and his, he explained his tech has paid 50% of the door rate. Right. And he was at $60 an hour at that, or six, yeah, $60 an hour to the customer at that time. Right. And his tech was paid 30 bucks an hour. Right. Period. 50, what, 50% of what came in mm-hmm. was the tech and the tech bought his own tools. Right. And was responsible for his skill and his education, anything new. And at that time, there wasn't, the, the fuel injection was there. Right. The OBD1 was there. But it wasn't, it wasn't really, you know, as some of the big changes we're seeing yeah. now. Yeah, but the I don't think the pay is is where it needs to be. I and I, I, and, and I've seen it change from a percentage mm-hmm. to just a straight, yeah. uh, you know, flag rate. Right. You're going to get X amount of dollars per your flag hour. Yeah, or or they go to a salary, and as long as you're here eight to five, this is your paycheck. Right, and they all have pros and cons. Well, I I think I think that's where we need to be headed in a lot of ways. In other words, and and we're we're paid on the merit. We're paid on what are we're capable of, and and you know one of the things we talk about on the show a lot is you need to make sure your people are whole, right? We need to pay them to where they can be whole. They can have a good life. They can live a good life. And if I can look at fifty other professions, and every single one of them pays more with less skill than what it takes here, right? Yep. There's factory jobs that pay more than we pay. Yep. There's factory jobs that give insurance and benefits and all these other things. And people say, why are they leaving to go to a factory? Well, if you can go over there and make $140,000 a year, what do you think is going to happen? And and I, one, one factory is paying $140,000. You are high. <laughs> no, I'm not. You are. I'm not high, but I don't know what factory. I, I'm talking about Brian Pollock Goodyear in, uh, in Buffalo. Maybe. But one hundred and forty thousand in New York is like you know twenty five thousand dollars. Yeah, twenty five thousand in Alabama and sixty thousand in Kansas. It's uh, it's all relative. the The factory things that that's not even an, an issue. Look, I, I you know I push back on on any time. Is pay the the reason why pay percentage is is now disconnected because we've heard this before the fifty percent thing. It, it needs to be fifty percent at the the cost of running the business is what has required the cost to the consumer to go up. So it's not I can't get by with a snap on brick. Right. That's not happening. Correct. Now right. I got to have seven scan tools. Right. And uh, an old school alignment machine was fine, but now I got to have a fancy alignment machine. Plus now I got ADOS. Correct. Okay. That all has caused the caused the cost of operating the business go up. But then you start adding a bunch of other garbage amenities, consumer, that consumers have gotten used to. Things like drop boxes, Wi-Fi in the lobby, nice looking lobbies. Oh, yeah. You know, back in the day, you know, 
It was a dingy office. Right. Maybe had a chair for you to sit in. Right. Stacks of manuals and papers and crap. And everybody just got used to it. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's the shop. Right. Now it's got to be nice, clean waiting areas with coffee and TV plan and nice chairs that are comfortable for the customer sitting for two or three hours. All of that has and caused. Even payroll taxes have increased. That's not going to. Yeah, I don't know that it needs to be 50%. And and, and it's it's, not the only component, but I think it's a big one. It's 20 to 25% of the the overall uh, ticket is what is going to pay, typically. So if the shops of any size, they don't – they pay their technicians well. Where you have an issue is the – like the warranty times. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That in, in on the independent side, they get so aggressive about getting the sale that they'll look for ways to shave off what the, where they can and go. Hey, I know this normally pays one point five, but can you do one point three to on the to the technician just so they can cut the price down and be able to sell the job to the customer, and that that needs to go away entirely. Right. Well, it, we we've devalued our industry by doing that, right? Well, they're just trying to get the sale. Well, we've devalued the diagnostic process as well. Yeah, I've I worked at a shop where they gave away the diagnostic uh, charge if you did the repair. Right, and it's like I learned how that car works. Yeah, I I've done the repair enough times. I know how to fix it and fix it right, and it not come back here for that problem again. They didn't know what was wrong with it, so they brought it here. I put my time into it to verify that that's what's wrong, and now you're going to short me yeah. my time. And and that shop didn't even provide you a scan tool. You had to have your own scan tool, and you had to have your skill, and they were discounting your investment and your skill dude, just to get the repair. That, that's still common today. Yeah. It's still common Yeah, today. we we hear so, it all the time. I, I We have customers that say, I can't afford this in your diagnostic portfolio because I don't make enough money. And it's like, Talk to me about that. What do you charge for di- for your diagnostic charge? Oh, no, we don't. Uh, dude. And it's like, why do you not charge for that? I, and, and here's the thing is it is the least profitable service. If you are if you charge your base labor rate, right? Because think about it. What does a, a typical repair shop need to do? It needs to have a one-to-one parts to labor ratio. And so if you charge your conventional ish, ish but if you charge your conventional labor rate and you take half of your sales out because you're not selling parts in a testing routine, and it might take you, you know, you do a voltage drop test. Let's say that you go in, you take the connector apart, you know what circuit is, you read trouble codes, you find that component, and, and it's saying, hey, this is circuit low, right? Well, what does that mean? That means if I, my control wire circuit low, I'm going to go back to that component, and I'm going to do a three-wire test. Let's say it's a three-wire component, EVAP solenoid. It's got a power ground control, however you want to look at it, right? What am I going to do? I'm going to go back. I'm going to say, okay, I'm going to go to my control wire. If it's got 12 volts on it and I can load that and the solenoid closes, what does that mean? Well, it means that I've got power to it. Yep. And then, and so I go through this process. Let's say I've got an hour in it and I find that I've got a bad wire. And what what is it going to cost me to fix it? It's going to cost me five minutes. 10 minutes? It depends on where the brake is in the harness. And exactly. I, and and you, you've got to find that now. It could be at the connector and it's easy find or it's halfway down the harness as it goes past the transmission. Right? 
But but even then, so now I fix it, right? Maybe I've got maybe I charge them fifty dollars to fix it. Maybe I charge them a hundred dollars to fix it. But I'm still missing that parts. If I'm charging 150 bucks an hour, what would have been $300 to do a brake job, right? Yep. I, I'm missing half of my gross profit. Right. Makes sense? Yep. And so now you got all these shops who really should be charging $300 an hour to do a testing routine on a car. Yep. Who were giving the damn thing away. And now they're setting that standard for everybody else. In right. our entire industry, because well, John down the street doesn't charge. Why are you charging me? You ripping me off? Yeah. Well, and and some of the feedback we've gotten as to why, especially as you get out of some of the major city areas, or you're in the lower income part of a major city, yeah, is that the parts store does the diagnostic for free, and they walk in with a slip, and it's like that's not a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. That's Bye the better. list of components <laughs> that could cause that code. And they're selling you out of that list of components, the one they sell the most, and sometimes it's the most expensive part on that list. It, and at the end of the day, we talked about this earlier, it is a zip code. It, it, it is the equivalent of a zip code. It gives you a general area. Yep. If you put a zip code in an envelope, drop it in the mailbox, where is it going? Right. It might get to the right town, but that's about the extent of it. Right. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I looked up the average pay for some very popular jobs. Right now, I think data analyst is one of the most sought-after positions in this country. Okay. Data analyst. You, and that makes sense. Look at every, how AI is taking over everything. you got to have somebody looking at all that data. Fine. I look at the average salary of a data analyst in my area. I pay my technicians more. I pay them all more. I pay everybody in my shop Except for the person who works part-time because she works part-time. But if she worked full-time, she would be making more than your average data analyst does in my area. Now, could they make more at a factory? They could. In 10 years, once they've moved up in seniority and they haven't gotten fired over the next 10 years, then yeah, you're going to end up on first shift making pretty good money. But it's going to take you 10 years and you got to be committed to working the crap shifts for yeah. the next five to seven yeah. years. And then maybe you'll move to first shift and then maybe you'll move up enough to start making some really good money. So I dismiss all of, all of that. The, the bigger issue is, is like you're saying, giving away diagnostic time, devaluing yeah. the, the, and, and the, the technicians, the mindset of the technician. We we were just talking to what's the gentleman's name? Peter Pete Bradley. Pete Bradley. We're just yeah. talking to Pete Bradley from Hella. He had a fantastic voice, ASMR voice. Just he, and I think that was contributing to the sleepiness. I'm just telling you right now. <laughs> David's up here getting ready to pass out. <laughs> and he's just like I'm watching him because I've got all the cameras are up here in front of me, and I'm and just I'm, watching I was him go. trying, and it's not that he was fascinating, but he had this like this voice. It was an English accents. Yeah. They get me. Yeah. So it's that, and it's like, oh man. And I'm like, as anyway, I was going to fall asleep. Is my point. <laughs> um, he was talking about the technology and headlamps. Okay. And so these headlights can now shoot up into a little projector module, and then the projector module shoots out a beam. And it can isolate section part, certain sections of the road for you. Right, yeah. You're driving down the road, and it'll dim 
because it sees the road sign coming up and if it's at full brightness it'll wash out the the sign right so it'll dim it or it'll see that somebody's walking on the side of the road so it'll shoot a si- some some light over there so that you can see it right. properly at night it can write things on the on the ground Ooh. so yeah. you you think you know you buy a high end a mercedes or something like that you want those flipping headlights the same mercedes when you turn them on <laughs> right. it throws yeah. the mercedes sign that that'd be awesome right okay so all these headlights can do all that Right now, the cost is like sixty five hundred bucks for these headlights, and all and they can make them super thin in whatever shape you want. And they can do all these crazy things with these headlights. Now, that's going to require that the headlights have their own set of network mm-hmm. the communication lines, right, mm-hmm. and have the capability to then diagnose whatever aspect of the component that's failed. Hey, it no longer lights up the right hand side of the road when I come up to you know, somebody walking or, Hey, it's not, it's not dimming when the signs come in. It's like, okay, is that part of the ADOS? Is that in the headlamp? I'm going to need to run codes on this thing. Now now you're digging into the sophistication of these headlamp assemblies, an old school mechanic guy's been coming through the, through the ranks. And what, what's that guy going to say? I can't believe it's a headlamp Uh, headlight. I cannot believe how, Complicated. I mean, these stupid engineers have made these headlights so complicated. I got to now run codes to be yep. able to figure out what's wrong with your headlight. They're going to look at it from a very jaded standpoint. Yep. Where you bring in somebody that's new and fresh, and hey, I'm pulling them away from that data data analyst job. Hey, you're going to be sitting in a cubicle. You're going to be reading spreadsheets all day long, and, and compiling TPS reports and you didn't put the right header in the right T in the TPS report. You guys aren't catching the reference. You guys are killing me. Anyway, <laughs> office space. You've seen office space. Yeah. Oh yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So you could do that or we could tear this headlamp assembly off this, this Kia EV and tear into it and fix the circuit board on it because they're not available. <laughs> they're not available and uh, yeah. they're on forever backward. And so, um, that for somebody who's a tinker is going to be more appealing, right? The pay's got to be competitive. Doesn't necessarily need to be higher. It needs to be the good shops are paying well now. Right now, the good shops are paying well now. I personally blame the technicians because they stay at the bad shops. Yeah. Okay. Where you you got out. Yeah. You saw this coming. Absolutely. This guy it was not a shop owner or a technician. He was an investor. He bought this, that's what it sounds like at least. Yes. He he bought this shop thinking I'm going to make 15 to 20 cents on my dollar and it's just going to be, I'm going to rake it. I'm going to get my my investment back in three years and in five years, it's going to be worth X amount of dollars and in 10 years, I'm going to be able to dump this thing there and double my money, whatever, right? Something that's what like he was that. thinking. Sure. He walks in and all of a sudden he's like, got to cut costs, got to cut costs. And you're looking at it as like, we want happy people fixing cars. Right. That's not... That's not how he saw it. So he walks in. Now you, you're you at a crossroads. But a lot of technicians will just put up with it and instead bitch about the industry. Right. Instead I of, can see that. Instead of going, you know what? I bet you there are shops out there that would value what I can do, not discount the diagnostic uh, fee, and 
help me become a better technician and introduce me to cool technology like these headlights. I need to go find a shop like that. So I, I did some looking around before I went to that shop and there are shops out there that I would work for and there are shops out there I'd never work for. Yeah. And I don't think there's enough shops out there that I would work for yeah. to, to help with that. Um, I was listening to some shop owners here the past couple of days and some of them have some great ideas. You know, the, there needs to be, I don't know how much training they have uh, at the tech schools. I didn't go to the tech schools. I started at the low ranks in the dealership and worked up. Right. But I was taught very quickly by the senior guys. I started in the summer. Bankroll. Yeah. And they were like, don't spend that. You need to put away 20, 30% of that yeah. every single week. It's like, why? Because winter. Yeah. Now, I was at a, the, the dealership did a very good job. We were really only slow the week of Thanksgiving. The first one I was at, the week of Thanksgiving and the week of Christmas. Yeah. But after 9-11, their business failed. Yeah. And and it was never the same. Yeah. The, I don't think that that's taught because I, I, I see them, you know, in, in tool stores, big giant wide eyes. Yeah. And they need tools. Mm-hmm. And they leave with a three-bay toolbox. <sighs> Dude, that's not the starting point. I, we have great carts. We, can, we, I, can I ask him? Well, the the whole Terry situation. Huh? You can ask him. You know he works for a tool company. I know. I want to. He, have you got to push the three bay tool. Every new technician needs a three bay toolbox. <laughs> so there's, you're doing your company a disservice. No, here, no, 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 because I want them for the long haul. Oh, see, there I, you go. That's, I want to put them into a. I want to put them into a Jamestown made sing, uh, cart with the right tools. So he gets in and gets going. Yeah. And then two years later, I'm taking that card and trade and putting him into a two bay. And then two years later, I'm taking that and trade and then putting him into a three bay. I like it. And, so, I've, got, and I've got him as a constant lifelong customer sure. as opposed to blowing him out. And he gets something that makes him And you no may not money. get your money back. And it I mean, turns it, into a collection thing. Well, I, well yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and, and that builds morale in the shop. Yeah. I, I, I came in behind a distributor that didn't do very well. Mm-hmm. And it was a hard uphill battle at a lot of those shops. And by taking that approach, I got to the point where when a new tech came into that dealership, into that shop, the foreman walked him out to my store and said, this is the guy you you need to buy tools from. Yeah. The, the other trucks come around here, but this is who I recommend. Yeah. So when, when I started, there was a Snap-on dealer who was a fantastic human being. And I would go to buy something, and he would say, son, you don't need that. And I'm not I'm not saying I don't want your money, but I'm telling you, I've been doing this for 40 years. I promise you don't need that. Right. What you need to do is you need to think this way. And and he built my business, okay? Because all the tools that I needed, he put on the truck account. If there were weeks I couldn't pay, never a word about it. He always worked with me if I started to make a bad decision, and even if it was other things with my business. He'd come in and say, Lucas. Stop. You're making a bad decision. I want you to think about this first. I, I started to buy a Mr. Big Toolbox, and he said, it's ridiculous. Don't do that. It's not where you need to spend your money. Put your money back. One day you'll need it. Right. right? And he was right. And so I was I was blessed, but I also didn't realize that there were others, right? Because I'm, I'm from old country town, right? And people 
helped people. Right. And so um, I never thought, I guess I just was raised to never think that people could intentionally take advantage of somebody, right? Well, he retired. And I, I don't know that the dealer intentionally took advantage of, of some of the situations. There were some things that happened that I was unhappy about between me and the dealer. And, and you know, bygones are bygones, right? Nice guy. Nothing, nothing wrong with the guy. But a couple weeks ago, I walked in and one of my technicians was was darty. Now we've got a rule in the shop. I buy the tools. Okay. If you want to buy hand tools, stuff like that, I don't care. Right. right. Whatever you want to do. If you're going to buy something expensive, let me buy it because it's a tax write-off and there I'll just go. give it to you. It's yeah. yours. I don't care what you do with it. Okay. Take it home. Do whatever you want. It's yours. After but, some time. Yeah. After but I don't want time. you to I don't want you over here spending your personal money. Right. I care about you. I want you to build wealth. Right. Th- and this particular technician's not made very good money choices throughout his life, right? We've been talking about he wants to buy a house. We've been talking about cash flow's real problem. We've continually worked to increase revenue and do things to help and say, look, I'm, I'm going to make you whole, but I can't just keep giving because you're not Correct. fixing. Yeah, you can only do you, yeah, yeah. You can only not, do so much. Exactly. You're not fixing the problem. And and we're what what's the Parkinson's law? Parkinson's law, which is I give more, you spend more. And now we just have a bigger problem because right. we're spending more and more and more, uh, right? Yeah. Technically, I think it relates to time, but you know, use it for spending. Yeah, you, you know, if you made fifty thousand dollars a year, that's what you spend. But when you make a hundred, somehow all of those expenses creep up to the hundred. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, he's darty, and and I walk over, and he's like, and I'm like, what's up with this? And I said, hey, what's up? He's like, nothing. And all of a sudden, Snap on Man comes in carrying a brand new tool. And I said, what in the hell? Now, I'm not trying to talk shade, but there's a particular tool that now that they've changed things, when it goes EOL or it's not got a subscription, when you try and print the PDF or you try and attach that PDF, which has the pre-scan, it is corrupt. It does not work. Oh, really? Yeah. And for me, that's a problem. That's right? a big problem. And so it, it doesn't attach to anything. And so I'd already said, we will not be buying any more of those tools. And uh, so I asked him, I said, what did you do? He said, it's going to save me money. And I said, it's going to save you money. I've never been in a situation where I can spend money to save money. Like, that's not how this works. Let's talk about this for a minute. How does it save you money? And he said, well, it's going to lower my payment. And I'm like, dude, right now the interest rates are the highest they've ever been. There's something wrong with this scenario. He, I, he's looking at the short term and not the long term. And he said, no, no, they they told me it was going to save me money. They promised me it's going to save me money. Uh, only on the weekly basis. <laughs> right? <laughs> only on the weekly basis. Well, so he comes into my office a few minutes later. We, we get, we're like family, right? So we get heated with each other. I walk off. He walks off. He's mad at me. I'm mad at him. And he comes to my office a little bit later and he says, well, what tool do you think we should get? And I'll see if he'll take it back. They refused. They said, nope, we're not taking the tool back. Not interested in it. We don't want it. And um, I said, well, let's talk about the numbers here. Because I was thinking about, maybe I could pay this tool off or do something to help him with it, right? And I said, how much did you owe Snap-on? And he said, I, uh, I owed them $1,800. And I'm like, Okay. And so we calculated the number of payments. He was paying like $50 a week, right? I said, so you'd have this many payments left. And I said, so tell me what is your payments now? 
And he said, well, it's $38. I said, how many payments do you have now? And he said, I have uh, 220. And I said, bro, how much did you pay for the tool? He said, $3,500. I said, tell me how it is. The tool goes from $3,400 and you owe them $1,800 to now you're going to pay them $10,000. Right. Explain that logic to me, how that saves you money. We, we posed the question in the group, right? We've got this, it's called the Changing the Industry Podcast Group. Lots of technicians, lots of owners, lots of people. Some people got mad at me and said, I sh- shouldn't have put my nose in it. It was none of my business, right? Some people got mad at the tool dealer and said he has a responsibility to make sure that that technician at least understands, right? When you finance something, now I'm sure you finance something, you look at it and it tells you how many payments it's going to be, what your total payment That's is. That's correct. Right? <clears throat> Turns out he just skipped that page. He didn't show him that page when he was getting the signatures. He just scanned across it and went on, didn't say anything about it. What, what do you feel about that? You've been on both sides of that. How I've been on both sides. Uh, I mean, it reduces weekly. If you're smart as a technician and you're buying things right, it's it's an overall benefit because if I need the tool now to work faster, work more efficient, and I can drop my payment from 50 to 38, okay, that makes sense. Okay. But if I'm just buying something because it's going to lower my weekly, but it's ultimately going to increase the overall, then that may not be the best decision for me. Uh, the other thing that I've, uh, in looking at the mobile tool business, I didn't just jump at Matco. Okay. I had, I had looked at the other uh, companies, and due to the quality of the tool and other things is why I ultimately chose Matco. Yeah. One of the big ones, and I experienced this as a tech, uh, I had a really good snap-on dealer. I bought right. a lot of tools from him. Right. But I hated their finance because their finance compounds that interest on a daily basis like yeah. a credit card. And you will pay four times as much if you're paying their minimum payment. Yeah. Macu has a simple contract. It's it's done like a car loan. Okay. At 90 days, same as cash. I believe Snap-on has the same. But then we, it's only compounded once a month. So if if you drop it down to 38, but you still pay your 50, you will you'll pay less. Yeah. You're going to pay more because you added something to the contract, obviously. Right. But you'll pay less than what sort of than, than what the yeah. The, the total would have been, and the total will never go higher. Right. And then we report good credit to all three credit bureaus. So if, you know, a lot of technicians, they don't have credit to start with. Right. Or they've done something stupid at some point in time. Mm. They got a little extra money during the summer. They got an ATV. They got behind. You know, some scenario yeah. like that. And they're not, they're not bad people. They just don't have the credit where they need it to be. And so in reporting the good credit to all three bureaus gives me the ability to boost my score back up and maybe I can roll that to a bank loan moving forward, drop the interest, pay it off sooner. Yeah. Maybe I can, because of our tiered interest system, where I can be as low, I think, as 9.99. Don't quote me on that. It it changes, but it is tiered. Right. Where maybe I started at 23.99 in my first couple PSAs with Matco, and through making those proper payments, I can now get some extra tools that I need, lower my monthly, but don't lower my yeah. payment, and lower my interest rate where the overall works out better for me. Do you think that that we have an issue with financial education? Big time. Or two. 
That sounds all overly complicated, and it makes perfect sense. Like I understand everything you said, but you shouldn't have to do that as a technician. <laughs> Start thinking in those terms. I think you, I think you like, need to just in general. Oh, well, sure, sure. What, what sure. I always did is I'd run the contract for ninety-one days with Snap-on, and then I'd run down to the bank with my with my car note, and I never borrowed more than my car note would cover. Right. And I'd get a loan from the bank and, and pay that oh, puppy off earlier. Idea. Yeah. And then the next the, time the they fact had, that you're like you're managing all that. I mean, that's not something like I would do managing the shop's finances to game the system <laughs> as much as I could right. spread it out with paying the least amount of interest. I don't know that I want my technicians messing with that. It's like they get a salary. If they need the tool, I just buy it for them. I write it off. It's whatever. Like, well, and, and that's an aspect that I've heard from a lot of shop owners. And I think that that's another way to repair the system is that some of the shop owners are providing the storage. They're providing the tools that they need. And if they want yeah. so, something that they specifically like, they can absolutely add it. Um, I've some shop owners, you know, past couple of days, one of them mentioned something. I've heard it done in different ways, but his way kind of stood out to me. His guys are paid on an hourly per flag. They're, they're on a flag rate. And if they hit 40 hours in a week, he adds five hours to a bank, uh, to a lottery or something for the, for them. Mm -hmm. And so when a week comes up where he can't produce enough work for them to produce 40 hours, right. they can pull from that bank up to 40 hours. So through, That's through, pretty slick. through the scenario of Interesting. something happening and hit, his tech runs 20 hours, but he was there all week and he, he worked efficiently on everything that was thrown at him. There just wasn't enough thrown at him. If he's got twenty hours in the bank, he can make that a forty-hour week. Well, so I'm I'm a uh, I don't know how you feel about it. I hate flat rate, and and it's not that. And, and I have a hybrid system, right? So no matter what, right? There's nobody in my shop that's going hungry because they didn't turn hours one week. Okay, right? They're still getting paid forty hours that week, and it's pretty good money for forty hours. Right? right? I'm not afraid to say it. Um, there. One of the things that when we talk about flat rate and we talk about doing away with flat rate that people get upset about is because they say, well, you're taking my ability to earn more in production away, right? And I can understand that. So that's why I put the hybrid plan in place to right. make sure that when it goes up, and we manage that number pretty closely, right? We're we're targeting a number on the P&L to say, hey, we're close to where we need to be as far as labor cost goes. Make sure they're paid fairly. Make sure they're getting their money. But... I like the idea that the shop can have a protection plan for its people in the event something happens. Now, you you do this anyway, right? Your guys have a problem. Something goes wrong. They need help. You help them. Dutch does the same thing. I do the same thing. Like, if our people need help, we help our people. But the concept of banking uh, that help back in... what and, sense? What are you talking about? Well, financially. Like, if they get into a spot. No. Well, Yeah. But no, <laughs> look, I, I, if they, if they get tight, they've made a bad choice. Sure. I agree. Cause I'm paying them well enough that they shouldn't. Right. And, and this isn't like, Hey, I'm a little tight cause I made a down payment on my house. No, this is, you bought something stupid or yes. you're making a yes. car payment that you shouldn't be making, or you're paying 200 bucks a month in tool payments that you shouldn't have to make. And right. Like I understand 
I'm not going to buy a guy a, a three-bay toolbox. They really would need to. No, I don't. <laughs> you you get them in a nice, a nice, a nice toolbox. That's one thing. But then it's a you know at, at some point it becomes an ego thing. Like I just want to have a bigger toolbox. I want to have the biggest toolbox because they're cool. I get it. I get it. But it, it becomes unnecessary. It's like, dude, that's not going to make you more productive. So at that point, it's a conversation. But if they made a bad choice, the conversation is not me bailing them out. Of it's course, like, let's talk Absolutely. about why this happened. Let's correct the how course. do we prevent yeah. this from happening? I, identify what happened and what what strategic things do we yeah, put into absolutely. place to keep it from happening again? But now if it's an emergency situation. An emergency is different. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah, will help. But you know, like I buy my, I try to make things as easy as possible while also looking at tax savings for me. Something like tools or not tools, I'm sorry, parts for their vehicles. I don't buy everything. They pay me. It's like a wife's car or something like that. But like we've bought as a bonus, you know, they got a, a toy and hey, I'm building an engine for my toy. I need a rotating assembly. $1,600. Okay. We buy it. And I write the whole thing off. Right. <laughs> but they're not paying out of pocket, which, you know, essentially is a bump in their pay. Absolutely. And $1,600 bonus tacked on top of what they've made this year. Right. It, you know, those, those little things add up. The important part is communicating it to your staff so they didn't conveniently forget when they're like, hey, you didn't give me much of a raise this year. It's like, hey, you remember the $3,000 in tooling I bought you earlier? Oh, and the $1,500 in parts I bought? Oh, yeah. It's like, yeah, that would have been out of your own pay out of pocket if I hadn't right. paid for it. Yeah. Dingus. You I don't know, know that. I, I go back and forth. If you're paying them hourly, they need to be productive. If you're paying them flag rate, you gotta you gotta keep the shop loaded. Yeah. And and I've I've seen guys do excellent work and flag eighty hours a week, and I've seen guys do bad work and flag eighty hours a week because that's where they need to be. Uh, I always <laughs> tried to gauge myself on living on the forty hour. Yeah. Yeah. And anything over was a bonus, and the bonus went to bills. Yeah. Pay something off early to get me in a better spot the next time the, everything goes down. Because except for the last shop, there was a guarantee. There was a guarantee. All the other shops, you flagged 20 hours, you walked home with 20 hours, yeah. even, even at the dealership. But see, that the, I, for me, the the philosophy bothers me because like I'm trying to remove added stress. I'm so paranoid about like don't don't forget to tighten this bolt don't don't screw up this repair like don't stress about hey I, I didn't make my 40 this week I only got 32 yeah. right and so I had to rush yeah, this, right. this last job through or hey that car needed a little extra suspension work if you know what I mean wink wink nod nod and you're like I, I just that right. stuff that, that that's the bad component of it Absolutely, and, and, and I think so, I think a hybrid about it. is a better spot. But and I don't know if there's anything perfect. Yeah, uh, the the, I the think shop, you're making some concessions. The, the, the shop owners 
you know, that we've been talking to the past couple of days, some are full of flag, some are full s salary. I think one of them is a, is a, is a hybrid like you mentioned here. Right. Um, I, I don't know that there's a, that there's a magic sauce. I think it depends a little on where you are and how you want to run your business. Right. Well, and it, I, I think it depends on educating your people. It, it comes back to making sure that we're giving them the tools and the resources they need to be successful. So, so what do you guys do with the changing landscape that is changing on a daily basis, those headlights? When a new vehicle comes in, say it's the same make and model, it's just a new year model, but there's new components there or they've changed the strategy. Or is it, what are you guys doing for your techs to be up to date on the latest that's rolling in your shops? So we train. In my shop, we've got a 100-hour-a-year minimum. Is that what you do? What do you use for training? We use everything <laughs> from the CTI and WTI to we go to trade shows like gotcha. uh, ASTE in okay. Cary, North Carolina. I make them watch YouTube videos. The, the <laughs> do, do you have Scanner. the patch? Yeah. YouTube certified? <laughs> hey, now, Scanner Danner is YouTube. And that is some legit the, training. The, the legit stuff behind the paywall. You got to pay for the, the paywall. You know who Scanner Danner is. Yes. Yep. So the, the issue, though, is the... I have a problem with every every technician that's like that says that flat rate... Not having flat rate limits the amount of work that they're able to or the amount of money they're able to make that's been ingrained in them like if you're going to sell houses like yeah you're going to sell houses you're going to live or die about how by how many by the amount of houses you sell but you sign up for that this isn't selling houses right this isn't peddling flooring this isn't or selling roofs. You, you know what I'm saying? Yep. This, this is a, your, your ability is in diagnosing and repairing the vehicle, learning the new systems, Yep. right? Staying on top of technology. That's where your skill set is for somebody that needs to work on commission. What's their skill set need to be closing the sale, right? Finding yeah. the lead, qualifying the lead, and then closing the sale. That's what they need to focus in on. I mean, it's great okay, that they that makes know. Sense. It's great that they know real estate. But if they're a good oh, salesperson, right. Right. Yeah. if they're a really good salesperson, they can sell just about anything. They can go sell cars. And then, Doesn't hey, mean I'm the quality's worth the darn, right? What, you, what, what are you talking about quality? I'm just saying, if, if, if they don't have to know the car, right? They don't need to know the car. They could get, they don't need to know That's the car. That's my point. How many salespeople that, have you met that knew the car well? Not many. Not many. Yeah. And the houses, it's a house. Like, hey, do you want to live in this neighborhood? I know the neighborhood. This is a nice neighborhood. Do you want to buy the house? They have to learn how to close the sale, how to get leads, how to qualify yes. the leads, and how to close yes. the sale. That's because they're on commission. The technician shouldn't need to know any of that garbage. They shouldn't be on technician. Your job is to know the vehicle, learn the systems, diagnose yes. it, and fix it properly. Uh, yep, that makes and sense. And therefore, your pay structure can't be a, it limits how much I make, burp, burp, burp. Like, that's BS, dude. That's BS. 
We want to try to pack in as much work as possible into your day. That's how it is in every other job. White collar jobs, they pack in as many projects as possible in your 40 to 50-ish hour a week. You're just trying to get as much work done to make the company as productive as possible. Should be there should there be a little back end bonus? Yeah, there should be a little a little profit sharing, but doesn't necessarily need to be dollars, right? In our shop, it's not dollars necessarily. There's there's a dollar component to it, but you know, there's perks. Let's let's yeah, figure I out think- what makes everybody happy on the perks. But it's the it's the focus on what you're doing. If you're commissioned, your focus is completely different because because you understand your earning potential is unlimited, and so you need to focus on specific skills. That does not translate into automotive. Mike Allen is 100% wrong. It does not translate into – I'm just telling you, it doesn't translate into automotive. And what you just asked should bury every single flat rate shop out there. It should because that – what they ask up there earlier, how many of your flat rate, how many of you guys that are flat rate are paying your technicians to read and right. study right. and yeah. research that component, that system? The OEs, when they were sitting up on that board, what were they talking about? Training. Figure out how the system works. Figure out how the system works. That takes time. I've factored that into my Pay structure. Yeah, into the business strategy. That's 100% factored into my pay structure. It is not factored into the flat rate system unless they deliberately add it in. And you're talking about shops that are giving away diagnostic time. Do you see any of them charging for research time? No. And, and Can you imagine? No. And, and and the other guys that I worked with weren't, weren't increasing their knowledge. I, 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 had, a, I had a budget myself. And the AC Delco guy would come in and pitch it to the shop. And I remember the first time in the aftermarket world, I'm at the shop at the AC Delco guy comes in and says, Hey, we're going to have, you know, ignition training using the scope, you know, this, that, and the other. And I was, I'm just standing there going, cool. All right. And shop owner goes, no, no, we're, we're not interested. And I caught him out what? in the parking lot and I said, what does this cost? He goes, it's 350 bucks. It's three and a half hours and we feed you. It's over here at this restaurant, this, that, and the other. Went home, found it. Paid it, and you know, and and that was for me, because I I knew that I wasn't going to be at that shop forever, right? And I was going to move on. Well, so that makes more sense. That you know, as you, that explanation leans me towards you know the hourly pay, the salary. It's 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 got to be that way. Your focus. Well, on and and the- something I don't remember, I don't always think about, is when your flat rate, you're also that that speed you're working at. Not only leads to, you know, misrepairs, misdiagnoses, yeah. it leads to physical injury. Yeah, am, am absolutely. I, am I yes, 4 can, re- break, yeah. oh, can, can account for that? <laughs> right. Uh, and you, you, you see guys picking up four tires, not four tires, you know, picking up, picking up stuff they shouldn't be picking up. Yeah. Picking the transmission up and stabbing it real quick to the back of the engine because it's going to take too long to walk down and get the transmission jack because they need to get to the next job. Yeah. So no, that I'm, I'm following. And you know, here's the thing: is is if I want a technician to invest in himself, I want him to invest his time into training, right? That that's really all I'm interested in. And 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 look, I know that some technicians may say, "Hey, well, I'm, I might want to move on." I get that. 
110%. Don't have a problem with that. And and I, I, I see investing in hand tools and things like that. I think that's great. But I think the shop should really be investing in the, the bulk of the expense of repairing the car. You know what I mean? Yep. The, they need to be investing in the, the information systems. I know techs who are paying for all data. That's ridiculous. Right. And right? not, those techs are the reason why the industry is the way it is. Leave that shop. Yeah. What are you doing? Well, so one of the things that we're doing is addressing that with a rap assist. Okay. And it's got four tools in one. One of them gives you access to an IVS 360 desk okay. of mechanics that spent their years at that brand. Okay. So if I get a BMW in front of me, I get going into the diagnostic procedure and it's new. It's a new strategy. It's maybe a, uh, a code I haven't worked with on that BMW before. Mm-hmm. I can call that hotline and talk to a BMW specialist. And now we powwow together. And that's technically on-the-job training for that because yeah. I'm getting his experience yeah. and knowledge. Yeah. They can share with me the repair information. They can actually access through that tool with their factory scan tool and look at things. And I, I've taken it around and seen it it helps in incremental areas, and when implemented, it can overall increase things. It's got the J-Box built into it, and if I don't know how to use the J-Box, I can call that same desk, pay that service fee, and they'll walk me right through step A to step Z of flashing a vehicle, and now I'm smarter with that. Right. And so that's one of the things that you know we look at and try to filling that gap, because shops are not, many shops are not built like you guys seem to have your shop set up in investing in that extra training. Well, the technician also is not walking into the job thinking, I'm going to do an hour of reading today. Correct. Yeah. But that's, that's the problem. It's the same, it's the same technician that is getting angry that the headlight is overly complicated. You see what I'm saying? Yep. It's just a headlight. Why am I having to scan a headlight? Okay, dude. Did you do your reading today? Did you see how the system works before you decided you were going to diagnose this headlamp system? And no, I, I didn't. It's like, okay, well, now we have a problem. The mindset, the approach to the repair has got to change. And so the technicians focus in their, in their, um, the, the work they put towards gaining new skills needs to change and shift into not getting faster necessarily. But reading comprehension, yeah, and applying the what their knowledge to the vehicle and the system, that needs to be paramount. And, Not and, hey, how do I figure out how to do this job faster? Well, it it goes back to slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Yeah, and if you take the right steps to learn it and walk through it the right way the first time, the second time moves faster, the third time moves faster, yeah. and you do build that speed, and and you can. Close your eyes and knock out that that procedure. True. And because you put the steps into place the first time, in not just diagnosing it and but taking it apart, grouping components correctly so the right bolt goes back in the right hole and, and this, that, and the other, that when I'm done with the car, I know I did everything. And that and that goes to tool organization. Yeah. Where you can speed up just by having your tools properly Absolutely. aligned. Absolutely. And if you have them properly aligned, you get done, you glance over at your cart, they're all back where they're supposed to be, all the bolts are gone, 
Tools are on the bottom. And I've been following that same procedure. I can repeatedly knock that job out and everybody be confident that every bolt is torqued correctly, all the gaskets made it on there, all the brackets are where they're supposed to be, and all my tools are back on my cart. This is why I keep saying that you cannot be a technician successful and have ADHD. That just gave me anxiety. Everything you just said there just gave me a massive amount of anxiety. And (laughs) I'm thinking of my shop and like, Oh, that technician doesn't clean up. Yeah, that technician doesn't. <laughs> and you know these these are smart guys, and they know better. But it it turns into habits, it's like you're saying. Yeah. It's it's a habit. Force yourself to go back, clean and organize, and then things do end up going a lot quicker, a lot smoother. You you think of Chris? Clean up your tools. You think of uh, you think of. You'll hear this in like two months when it goes <laughs> out, comes out. You think of a shop like Tom Shear, right? And and you look at Tom's shop, yeah. And you say, you everything around, has a spot. Everything, everything has, has a, spot. a spot. It's clean. It's organized. And it's a byproduct of the car that he's working on. It's a byproduct of the client that he has. It's what his organization does. And uh, you know, we, we were talking about. And I'm, I probably shouldn't say this again. Um, we're talking about the new Toyota commercial. Have you seen it? I don't guess I have. It, it, what it is is it's a Toyota commercial, and they're saying like, "Hey, you should probably use factory trained technicians instead of using this guy." And it's this hairy, greasy, nasty looking guy in bibbed overalls with duct tape wrapped around a tire. Right? Okay, all right. And and so, if we want to change the image of our industry, if we want to change the professionalism of our industry, if we want to take things to that next level, then we all have a responsibility in that. We all have to take actions. We have to take steps to get us there, right? Yep. And it can't just be David. It can't just be Jake. It can't just be technician Bob. It's going to take all of us working systematically to begin to improve things. We've got to start making decisions to make our industry better. Sure. Well, unless you have guys like the guy that bought that shop that you were in that see it's an investment. How do I make the most amount of money as fast as possible? Well, that's going to be flat rate. That's going to be twenty four ninety nine oil changes or fourteen ninety nine. What does Mike Allen charge? I think it's nine ninety nine right now. It, that cannot be right. <laughs> that the, the there's a shop owner. There he was a shop owner. He sold the shop. Um, at the very first ASOC dinner. We, we decided we were going to just all get together and we talked to each other online. We're going to meet up at Vision. You familiar, Vision Casey? I don't guess so. No, Vision. It's it's a big training yeah, there, event in, in Kansas City. There, okay. There's three primary trade shows and trainings in the U.S. You've got ASTE in September in North Carolina. Shameless plug. Yeah, absolutely. You've got Vision in March in Kansas City. You've got Apex in SEMA. Right. Out on the West Coast in November. There's also in October. And there's I guess. some smaller regional ones. Like there's Super smaller Saturday regional ones. and stuff like right. that. Sure. But so this is a this is an event's been going on 31, 32 years, something like that. It's 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 big. Over a thousand people attend, and it's a big event. So we we decided we're gonna we're all gonna show up at this event and we're all gonna meet for dinner. And this shop owner shows up and he, he owns a shop down the street. And he, he's listening to all his talk, and he's kind of like chuckling to himself. He's like, yeah, I do twenty four ninety nine full synthetic oil changes. I buy the oil for $2 and change from this guy, 
If he doesn't sell it to me, I'll buy it from this other guy. One of them is going to give it to me for this $2 and change. And he's like, I have a $450 ARO. We pack, I have 12 bays now. I pack as many cars in there as possible. And he's like, and I have to keep this participant. It's like 56% GP. Mm-hmm. And I told all my staff, and they're all on commission. They're all flat rate. All of their service advisors are on commission. His, and he was wanting to grow the business to a certain size. He started as a technician, didn't know what he was doing. It was one of the same old story. They hooked up, got hooked up with the coaching companies that were like, oh, you can scale this. He scaled it to the point where it was doing two and a half million plus dollars a year. And then he sold it. Now uh, he's with the new missus on a boat in the Bahamas. That's what he does. He takes pictures of himself all and, you know, fishing. Sure. And all yeah. That's what he does. That's, that's the thing. That's been sold to everybody as the ideal. All right. Now, Mike Allen, I don't know what his deal is, but whatever. But well, that, maybe one day we'll and ask you're him. probably getting to it. But that business structure doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help the customer. It doesn't help. It the helps employees. one person. It helps one person. Yeah. One, one, and whoever comes in behind him, if he's looking to do credible service and credible repairs, he's going to lose a huge amount of his clientele absolutely. because his price is going to have to go up. Only way. Yeah, absolutely. If all of a sudden he's like, "Hey, we're not putting this cheap." Full synthetic that can barely be called full synthetic into everybody's it can barely car. Be called whole. <laughs> I, and I've I've seen that before where it probably wasn't even the right viscosity. It yeah. was probably a bulk viscosity. Yeah, it may or may not have been synthetic. It just had the label on it. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, there's different classes of synthetic sure, too, and sure. like that's guaranteed not Dexos two approved full Correct. synthetic right and it might be 520 and 530s all he carries and everybody gets the same oil change right and he's using a two a dollar 59 oil filter right so you're selling them full synthetic they think they can go 10,000 miles yeah but that oil filter is designed to go five you're not explaining any of this to the consumer they're just getting a 20 they're getting a good deal on the oil change and by the way you need brakes suspension no 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 right on and on it goes they're doing a complete disservice to the, to, to the industry, but everybody's been sold that as the ideal. That's what so many gravitate to, and that shop is an overwhelming force in this industry. That layout is an overwhelming force, and I think unstoppable. I, I just don't I don't understand. I've I have met sweet people with the best of intentions that said, I don't care what you say. I was doing $650,000 a year doing it the right way. And now I'm doing $2.1 million and I'm adding another section to my building and I have happy customers and blah, 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 blah. And I'm doing all this good charity work and this, that, and the other. But they, they wouldn't, his customers probably wouldn't think that way if they knew the reason for the short life of their yeah. engine or other components on that car wasn't the car manufacturer's fault, but who is servicing it. Even beyond that, though, I don't think that they're in tune with the business enough to know that their customers are happy. Uh, uh, some of the people who teach that model teach to, like, just, you know, pay away bad reviews. Well, and I don't do? think enough of them – I don't think all of them – are 
intentionally no. performing a disservice because they probably don't come from the automotive industry. They rely on who they trust and who they trusted sold them. It, it's Well, I know a lot of them have come from the industry, but all they know is how much they struggled before. It, it's, it's right. the f- and now they're raking. Right. It's the frog in the bowling water. Right. Right? Because before they were on the front counter, and even if they knew, let me rephrase that, even if they didn't know if that was the right thing for the client, maybe they would take the time to learn, was it the right thing? Is that the right oil for the car? Is that this, that, or the other? And so somebody comes in and they tell them, hey, there's a better way to do this and you can make a lot more money. And so they start with something that they would feel comfortable with, right? And they say, hey, do this. And then they start making more money. So they get that little bit of money in their pocket. Now, guess what? That person has a reputation with them. They have experience that says when they say this, this happens. And so slowly, the moral moves. David always talks about the 10-80-10 rule. And he talks about 10% of people, if a piece of bread falls off of a truck, that person would run over there and they'd pick that piece of bread up and they'd run it up to the truck and say, here you go, even Assuming if they were starving. starving. Yeah. Right. And then the other 10% on the other side would go up and would take that piece of bread and eat it even if they were full as could be just because there's a piece of bread there. doesn't matter whose it is, right? And the, the other percentage in the middle, the 80%, would move based on the scenario, the things that were happening in their lives, all of these different things, right? Just walk past the bread? Well, no, they, they no, might. No, no, they'll, they'll adjust. If they're hungry, it's like, well, I'm starving. I have to have oh, the I bread. Oh, I see what you're saying. Right. Where they're like, well, I better walk this back. I'm not even that hungry, and I really don't need this bread. But gotcha. if for an iPhone, they're going to keep the iPhones like, well, they should have paid more attention to that. Their, 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 percept- or their, their perception of what's right and wrong shifts. Right. And, it becomes and, relative. And so that exposure to the fact that, hey, it's making more money. Hey, it's doing this thing. It must be doing something right. Right? And so all of a sudden, they they relate money to success. They relate money to morals. They relate money to ethics. They relate money to doing what's right. Right. They're not the one on the front counter anymore. Right. They're not the person putting up with it. They're not the technician in the back who they keep going to and say, hey, could you install this super cheap part? And by the way, I'm going to need you to take one for the team. We're going to knock an hour off that. Is that okay? Right. Yeah. And so slowly but surely, what does it do? It builds resentment. It builds hate. Builds, And then the next thing you know, not only do you have a situation where they're making a ton of money, they don't care, but now you got people in the back who, because of the way they're paid, they're having to hustle a little bit and they're having to recommend things that car sure. doesn't need and they're having to do things just to pay the bills because the system's rigged against them. Right. Right? I I ran into that at the shop that I managed and, you know, I had to forgive several times because I knew where it was coming from. Yeah. I You could tell from their behavior they weren't doing it intentionally. They were doing yeah. it out of habit. They yeah. were doing it because that's how they used to have to survive. Yeah, exactly. And so you'd have to – and that's where that relationship comes back into play. It. Yeah. it We'd go sit down, go, "Hey, walk me through this. Yeah, why did why did we why did this happen?" And you you, you get the immediate excuses, and then you got to dive in deeper. Yeah, and and then it was like, you go, "So well, I I guess I'll turn my uniforms in tomorrow. Why? Right. I, I need you out on the floor. Yeah, 
you know, we, we've got a line of cars. He goes, I'm not fired. No, you're not fired. We need to correct this. We're all human. We're going to make mistakes. Yeah. It's it's not so much what you do. It's what you do about what you do. Amen. And Amen. and there's not enough of that in this in this world, much less the industry. Amen, buddy. But Amen. Um, it's a huge challenge. And and to your point, it's going to take everybody involved yeah. to, to correct it. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for being here. No problem. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for listening to the Changing the Industry podcast. If you enjoyed the show, do us a favor and leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And don't forget to set it to automatically download the latest episode. Our efforts with this podcast, the YouTube channel, and the Facebook group wouldn't be possible without the support of our awesome sponsors. So please take a moment, check them out by clicking on the links in the show notes.